are you guys doing this morning? Good. It's so good to see all of your beautiful faces. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Jubilee. And I just want to thank you guys uh, for this. Um, every time I walk into this building, I get to see the faithfulness of God, but also your guys' faithfulness. Um, it has been a dream come true for us as pastors, and I hope it is a dream come true for you guys as much as it is for us. Um, as always, it's an absolute honor to be here and to speak to you. I say this every time I speak. I take it very seriously. It's not something that I just shove under the rug. It's something that I put a lot of time into. I really dig in to hear the presence of the Lord and what He is wanting me to speak to you guys about. So I pray um, that it influences you, challenges you, convicts you, it encourages you, it does all those things. Um, but we just finished up a two-week series about Israel. And the first message was about um, kind of the prophecy of end times and also having um, a revival. And why can't we have both at the same time? And then last week's message was mostly about the scripture, if you bless Israel, you will be blessed as well. If you guys have missed out on it, I highly, highly recommend it. It, is, uh, it, ha- it was and has been an influential uh, two-part series. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to have uh, two one-offs. And what a one-off is, is it gives uh, the speaker an opportunity to talk about what the Lord's been really resonating in their heart. What we're talking about, what God is directing me in. Um, and the difference for a series, it's more directive. It's, hey, this is the series, and there's the challenges to both of them, but there's also benefits to both of them. Uh, so I'm excited to talk to you today about pinnacles, pinnacles in life. So I'm going to talk to you about physical pinnacles, spiritual pinnacles. So you might be asking, what's a physical pinnacle? A physical pinnacle could be having a baby. For some it is, for some it's not, but I hope for most it is. Uh, maybe it's getting married. Maybe it's getting a promotion. Maybe it's getting a raise. Maybe it's retirement, whatever it may be. And then for spiritual pin- uh, pinnacles, I want to talk to you about um, maybe it's that time in life where the second you walk into church, it's just like, oh, like the Lord is there. You go into your quiet time, and it's just this, this presence that is just so fallible, so, so easy to enter, and you hear his voice uh, directing you in all of those ways. And so I want to talk to you about those types of pinnacles. And in my heart, I felt like the Lord said this, Daniel, uh, for all purposes, Jubilee has reached a pinnacle. Jubilee has reached a pinnacle. I mean, for 45 weeks, we were in a um, set-up, tear-down mode, uh, and it was, it was hard. It was hard. We had to be faithful not only as pastors, but as a church. And a lot of pinnacles you have to work really hard to get to, yes or no. But I felt in this time... Leading up to, because I knew I was going to preach on this message, I felt in that time that Lord started speaking in my heart and said, Daniel, a pinnacle is a time of celebration, enjoyment, but it's also a very dangerous place to be. So I want to talk to you about pinnacles. And you can see all around in our Christian society, you see amazing churches doing amazing things, and from the outside looking in, you'd be like, they're at pinnacles. They're going from pinnacle to pinnacle, Right? I mean, you have Hillsong, who has some of the most amazing worship in the world. And I don't know if you guys have been paying attention in the news, but in the past year, their lead pastor had to step down because of inappropriate stuff with staff. They have campuses all around the world. They have Hillsong, New York, that's filling stadiums. Stadiums. And the lead pastor there messes up. And now it's down to a few hundred people. We have churches like Mars Hill, which is an amazing church. 
teaching people, their, their motto, what they do is teach people theological beliefs and foundational beliefs so they can go out and defend their faith. And then their lead pastor messes up. I felt like the Lord said this, Daniel, when you're at the pinnacle, it's a time of celebration, but it also can be a dangerous time. And it's like we've adopted this culture in our Christian society that once we're at a pinnacle, or once we ask Jesus in our heart, we're safe. And I think it's specifically my generation and below. But here's the bottom line. The second you say yes to Jesus, the second you say, yes, I love you, there is a bullseye painted on your back. And we as a church have to be made aware that we have an enemy. And maybe some bullseyes are bigger than others, but the second you say yes to Jesus, there is a bullseye on your back. So I wanted to keep it simple in this message. I want to talk to you about what not to do when you reach a pinnacle and what to do when you reach a pinnacle. So the first one I want to talk to you about is what not to do when you reach a pinnacle. Have you guys ever heard of David in the Bible? I hope so. Because there would be an issue and we would not be teaching you enough. <laughs> David was an amazing man of God. Amazing. And I don't want to go through his entire life of his accomplishments, of his pinnacles, but I do want to focus on 2 Samuel 1, chapter 1 to chapter 10. These are just some of the things he did. He was crowned king of Judah. He fought and eventually was anointed king of Israel. So he reunited two kingdoms under one banner, which that banner was God. He brought the Ark of the Covenant, which is literally the embodiment of God's glory, to the capital of uh, Judah, which is Jerusalem. God gives him the blueprint on how to build the temple. He wasn't allowed to build it because there was too much blood on his hands, but he was able to have the blueprint. First off, can you take just a second to realize the gravity of that? It's literally the house that the Lord will reside in. And he gives this man the blueprint on how to build it. It's amazing. He defeats Ammon in Syria and about six other kingdoms during the first ten chapters of 2 Samuel. And this has nothing to do, I guess it kind of weaves in throughout Kings and Chronicles, some of the stuff he does, but this is just from 2 Samuel chapter 1 to chapter 10. And on top of that, he's a man after God's own heart. See, we have people in the Bible like John the Beloved, who was self-proclaimed Jesus' favorite. Moses, who wrote he was the meekest man alive, and I do believe it's Holy Spirit inspired, and that they were. But David didn't give his nickname to himself. He didn't write this book. David was a man after God's own heart, and he loved the Lord with every fiber of his being. Every fiber. God entrusted him to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham. Think about that. That's huge. And then we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we begin to see a shift in David. Chapter 11 begins by saying this, 
in the springtime, while kings are supposed to be out fighting, David remained in Jerusalem. So I don't know if this is why this one night he couldn't sleep because he wasn't where he was supposed to be. But he couldn't fall asleep, wakes up, and goes to his kingdom, his castle, gets on top, and he sees a woman bathing on the roof, which is super weird. Who, who does that? And he sees her and calls her over to his palace. And he sleeps with her. And then she ends up getting pregnant. And he finds out that it's his buddy Uriah's wife. Her name is Bathsheba. So this is David's plan. Okay, I'll have Uriah come back. Okay? And then I'll, I'll say, how's it going on the battlefield? And then I'll send them to Bathsheba's house, their house, and he can sleep with her. And then he can take the credit for the child. So Uriah comes. They do that whole thing. And, and David goes, go, Uriah, go home. And... Uh, David wakes up or whatnot at nighttime and sees Uriah is at the, the, the door to his palace. David asks, why aren't you going there? Because if all my fellow soldiers are out fighting and sleeping on the land, then I refuse to go home and be with my wife. So David's next thing is, all right, I'm just going to get him drunk. So he invites him over the next night and says, hey, let's get married. Let's, let's have wine, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the same exact thing, he goes, Uriah, go home see your wife, you haven't seen her, go lay in your bed. And Uriah goes, no. No. If my fellow soldiers are sleeping on the ground, then I will too. So David goes, all right, uh, I guess you've left me no choice, writes a letter to one of his generals and gives it to Uriah. Think about this. And the letter said, put Uriah on the front lines in the most dangerous areas of the battle. He gave Uriah his death wish. The letter in which told the generals where to put him. And Uriah, being such a loyal servant, took it, not knowing what it was, and gave it to the generals. I was reading that this last week. Shocked. From David's perspective, this is one of his best friends, and what he does is he gives him the letter in which tells him, entitles him, to where and when he's going to die. So we have this mighty, mighty man of God who's taking land for the Lord, who's going from pinnacle to pinnacle to pinnacle. And then we see a shift in his heart and he starts to sin. And I think this is what we can learn from him. To not put down our guard. To not put down our guard. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, 13 through 14 goes this way. Be watchful, stand firm in your faith. Act like a man, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So what the Lord is telling us in this season, whatever season we're in, is to be on our guard. Is to be on our guard when it's good and to be on our guard when it's bad. So David lets his guard down and what happens? Sin after sin after sin, covering up another sin to do another sin. That's shocking. He forces himself onto a married woman and tries covering up the sin. It's huge. 
Guys, as I was saying earlier, we have a bullseye on our back, and we have an enemy. And in First Peter, it says that our enemy is like a lion ready to devour. But if we have this ideology, if we have this adopted thought that, hey, I'm okay just because I believe in Jesus, and don't get me wrong, we have a Lord that wants to protect us. But if we put down our guard, it gives an opposition for the enemy to come in. So an example for, for Holly and I, every time I preach, um, we get like into tips, like no other, or one of us gets sick. So I'll, I'll start we'll bicker at each other, and then it takes for one of us to realize, hey, oh my gosh, you're preaching this weekend. And me being like, I put my guard down. I put my guard down. And I know that the cost of, of a small fight like this with my wife, the cost and the payment isn't much compared to what David went through. But David had to pay a huge price. He lost a best friend and a child. Every decision we make, when we put down our guard, there's a payment that must be paid. There's a payment that must be paid. And he put down his guard, and he had a lapse of character. So let's talk about character for a second. Men and women in this room, we work an entire lifetime to build our character, yes or no? And in a moment, in a time of lapse character, we can ruin it. And that's hard. That is so hard to take in and be like, I've done all these amazing things for my family, for my friends, but in a lapse of a second, it can change. Please, church, realize this. If a man like David, who's doing all these amazing and wonderful, miraculous things for the Lord can stumble and have a lapse of character than each and every one of us can too. And I please know where my heart is. This is not to be so heavy. Hey, I care for you, and that's why I'm sharing this with you. And I believe that the Lord said this. If I were to ask someone in here that's made a mistake like that, or made any mistake, a big one, and I asked to talk to them, I guarantee they would say the payment was massive. And I felt like the Lord said in this moment, Daniel, there's going to be people in this room that I am going to be convicting them. So church, listen to me. Whether you've made this mistake in the past and you're working through it, or whether you're in the middle of it right now and no one knows about it, it's a secret. I want you to know this. We have a Lord that is a redeemer. Amen. We have a Lord that wants to redeem you. We have a Lord that wants to redeem marriage. We have a Lord that wants to redeem an addiction. We have a Lord that wants to redeem you. So let's say you're in that place. You have that secret. You're making that mistake. What do you do? You confess. You repent. And you work at mending it. Church, there is peace. There is peace in being redeemed. We have an enemy and we know what his tactics are, are to kill, steal, and destroy, whether it be to kill joy, destroy a marriage, steal your peace. We know the tactics on what he is trying to do. But we have to keep our guard up. So what does it look like to keep our guard up? 
What does it look like? I wrote these things. We must recognize where the enemy could attack us. The well-worn path. We've all heard that. We have weaknesses, each one of us, that we know we could be susceptible for the enemy attacking us. So be aware of your weaknesses. The next one is we must pray, 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 and then pray. Okay, Daniel, what does that look like? In Jesus' name, I lift up my son. I pray that you would protect him, that you would watch over him, Lord, that as he enters into kindergarten, as he enters in this world, that it may be darkness, but he would be a light. Jesus, I pray over my house. I pray over my household. Lord, I pray that we would be a beacon of light. Lord, I pray that you would put an army of angels around my house. Lord, I pray that what the enemy attends, that you will bring peace. You will bring joy to my family. Lord, I pray that you would watch over my heart and my soul. Lord, let me be able to give grace to people that don't deserve grace. Let me be Jesus to the people around me. Are we praying those prayers over ourselves, over our family? Because if you're not, I promise you that enemy is coming and looking to destroy. Do you anoint? Do you anoint your houses? Do you anoint your children? I anoint you that you would be made in the way that you were made and you were created, that you would live a life like that. I anoint you protection. I anoint the calling into your life. I speak life over you. Are you walking around your house? How do I do it? I get a little um, anointing oil, rub it on my finger, and put a cross on every single door. So let's just say it's in the kitchen. Oh, why would you do that? Lord, I pray that every meal we have, that the conversations would be so bright, that we would be able to learn from each other, that we would be able to grow from each other. I go to my children, go to Lucy, Adeline, and Malachi's. Lord, I pray that this would be a place of peace. I pray that you would protect every single dream that comes against them. When I go to my, my wife and I's bedroom, I do the cross. Lord, I pray that this would be a bedroom of solitude, a bedroom of safety, a bedroom of just being completely each other and knowing the deepest parts of who we are. Anoint our marriage. It's setting up boundaries, church. Here at this, at this church, we have a rule called the Billy Graham rule. Billy Graham rule was this, that Billy Graham never met one-on-one with a woman unless it was in public or the door was open. So a story about Billy Graham. One time he's at a conference and he's at a hotel and he's with his associate pastor and they got him the presidential suite, right? And they're going up the elevator and all of a sudden he feels the Holy Spirit say, hey, um, I want you uh, to the associate to have the presidential. I'll have your room, okay? So they switch rooms and first off, I, if the Lord was telling me to do that, I'd be like, the presidential suite. That'd be hard. That'd be hard. I'd be obedient. I'd do it. So, so his associate goes to his bedroom, and out of nowhere, a naked woman with a photographer jumps out of the closet to take a picture of Billy Graham with a stripper, but Billy Graham was obedient and wasn't there. Boundaries. You would never get on an elevator one-on-one with a woman. So we've adopted such rules as that. There's a reason we have windows in our offices. I would choose not to have a window. I don't like the people, hey, what are you doing? I'm drafting fantasy football. Please stop bothering me. Come on, it's fantasy football season. You guys all know it. There was a story once. I was a, the youth pastor at the Lakewood campus, and I had uh, a student, a mother, and a father come to me and say, hey, there's, there's something going on in my house. Um, there's just a heaviness. Um, 
uh, just having bad dreams and, and kind of we think we're hearing noises and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, let me come over. Let me anoint your house and we can pray over it. So I'm going through the house, anointing it, praying over it. And uh, the, the heaviness wasn't being lifted. It, it just, I, I couldn't feel it being lifted. It was just something checking my uh, spirit. So I go sit down with all three of them. I said, hey, you know, what, what are you allowing? What are you watching? What, are you, what games are you playing? Nothing checked off. And I was like, okay. And I started thinking, you know, what, what, what exactly could this be? And then just out of nowhere, oh, I have a Ouija board. And I was like, get that out of your house right now. Like, what do you think? Like, so I had this idea, and the Lord started speaking to me. Um, it, it's, it's, and I could probably wordsmith it better, but I just called it prehistoric minded. We, um, 150 years ago, um, like right now, I shouldn't know what a satanic ritual is. In 150 years ago, 200 years ago, maybe some people, small people that were going that direction, but I would say mass majority of Christians did not know what satanic ritual was. Did not know what a Ouija board was. Did not know what a spell book was. Any of those things. So it leads to this question. What are you allowing in your house? What movies? What TV shows? What video games? What are we opening ourselves up to by just flippantly turning something on? And don't get me wrong, I like to be scared, but the second it turns demonic, I'm like, no way. What are we allowing our children to see? What are we allowing ourselves to see? See, it was easy 150 years ago, because you could just, it, it didn't exist to you. It's like this, here's an interesting fact. George Washington never knew dinosaurs existed. Did you know that? Dinosaurs didn't exist until I think it was, well, they did exist, but they weren't found until 1836. I think somewhere in that area. So George Washington and most of our founding fathers never knew dinosaurs existed. That's crazy. But it's just like our Christian brethren and sisters 150 years ago, they didn't know it existed, so it was easier to just ignore it. But guess what, church? We live in a day and age where it's not that way anymore. We live in a day and age where it is thrown at our children. It is thrown at you. And, it, and the weirdest part is it's, it's made to be like acceptable and okay. We as a church cannot be understanding about that. We have to fight and put those boundaries up, church. And as I've already said, if you're not doing it, there's an enemy ready to devour. That, in my opinion, is what standing or keeping your guard looks like. So now I want to talk to you about what we do when we get to a pinnacle. So we just learned about David with what not to do. I want to talk to you about another man named Joshua. I think Joshua, uh, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated characters in the Bible. He is a hero. A hero. So I'll give you a quick um, background of who he is. He's a young Jew who left uh, with Israel out of Egypt. He was mentored by Moses. He saw the power of God. He saw the Red Sea split. He saw manna fall from the sky. He saw water from rocks. He saw all these incredible things. And then he gets to a point where he gets older, and he's getting elevated a man and God and so on. So Moses goes, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to send out 12 spies, 12 spies to, to, to look out the promised land, but specifically in Jericho. So 
So they go, oh, sorry, no, that's, that's a different time. So just to look at the promised land. So they go, they come back, and ten of them go, no, we can't go. There's giants. It's, it's, it's not as good as it looks like. And then two of them, which were the youngest, Joshua and Caleb, said, no. This is the promised land that the Lord told us is ours. And not only that, it is a land filling with milk and honey. So let's take it. And because of their obedience and the ten others' disobedience, the older generation wasn't allowed to go and see the promised land, including Moses. But that was with a different. Uh, he got angry. So they had to wait. So you wonder why they had to wonder for 40 years when it's like a 200-mile thing. It was because of disobedience. They had to wait for the older generation to pass on and for the younger generation to come above. So Moses passes away, and Joshua takes the stand. So he sends out two spies, and he goes, Hey, check out the promised land, but specifically Jericho. They come back, Caleb. Actually, I don't know if it was Caleb, but I know. Um, was it Caleb? I think it was Caleb. But they come back, and they're like, It's ready. Let's go take it. So they go. And here's, here's the interesting I've always loved this. In Joshua 3, when, when the, the day comes for them to go to the promised land, Joshua sends the royal priests, the priesthood, with the Ark of the Covenant, and they're walking. And I've preached on this before, but the second the foot steps into the Jordan River, it says that it stopped a ways away. So they couldn't see God's immediate reaction to their faithfulness. But what did they keep doing? They kept walking. They kept walking. kept walking. And by the time they got halfway there, the Jordan River was dry. And then the priests had to stand there and wait for all of Israel to cross. And then once everyone crossed, they took the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, and left. And I love the embodiment. This is a whole different message. But the way I see it is, is the Lord led it and then also came from behind. How powerful is that? Oh. I love the Lord. I'm sorry. I love, I love what I do. So the first thing I want to talk to you about from Joshua is he went from pinnacle to pinnacle, or in other words, glory to glory. I have a scripture to read to you real quick. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So there's this thing from, from pretty much the whole book of Joshua uh, it looks a lot like Second Samuel uh, chapters one through ten. It goes, "Hey, we went from here, conquered to this kingdom. We went here, conquered this kingdom. We went here, conquered this kingdom. We went here, conquered this kingdom." It, they're very similar. If you went back and read them, very, very similar. But one thing, and David did this too, is that Joshua went from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory. And then the scripture is telling us as he unveils our eyes, as he unveils our face, and we get to experience his character and his personality, what he's doing is he's saying, you're going from glory to glory to glory to glory. And I know some people in here are like, Daniel, shut up. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know. You've never dealt with depression. You've never dealt with broken marriage. You've never dealt with these things. And yes, maybe I haven't, but I have had difficult times. And I can tell you this much, in those difficult times, the way that you can go from glory to glory to glory is by Jesus showing you his character. And as you take down brick by brick of the wall that you built up so you couldn't see him, brick by brick by brick by brick, his glory starts to shine in. So whatever you're going through, whatever promises that he's made to you, 
Whatever it is, you can go from glory to glory to glory because it's not our physical circumstances. It's our spiritual circumstances. And I know there's people in here who are saying, Daniel, wow. Church, I encourage you, I implore you, spend the time with the Lord. If the only time you're worshiping throughout the week is at church, that's not okay. It is so massively important for us to do that. Glory is defined as magnificent or great beauty. What better describes the Lord than that? Magnificent and great beauty. What better describes? Church, I can tell you in the hardest times of my life, in the darkest times of my life, that when I start to pursue the Lord again, when I start to get in my quiet time, when I start to worship, His glory shines even to the darkest places. I can promise you that. And I know there's people in here right now that feel so distant from the Lord. And they're like, I don't hear from the Lord. Let me just stop that light right now. You do hear from the Lord. A hundred percent. And is it a voice that you have to learn? Yes. Church, no matter where you're at, not only is it said in the Bible, but we are called to go from glory to glory to glory to glory, or pinnacle to pinnacle to pinnacle to pinnacle. Because here's the thing, that when you're at a pinnacle, you can either go forward or backwards. Forward or backwards. So I tell each one of you as a pastor, and I encourage you that you have a life that God wants you to live from glory to glory to glory. Another thing that I noticed in Joshua's life is how faithful he was. How no matter what, he was faithful. No matter what was going through, no matter the opposition in front of him, he was faithful. You see, Joshua's goal wasn't to get to a pinnacle. His goal was to be faithful to the Lord. And you see these things in his life leading up to when he takes over Israel. But that's not his final pinnacle, no. You see these things leading up, working at his character, being faithful and understanding the Lord promised us this land, so regardless of who's in it, we're taking it. That's faithfulness. So what happens when we're faithful, church? When we're faithful, it builds our faith. It builds our faith. I have a scripture to share with you real quick. It's Joshua 10, 12 through 14. It says, On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. So the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it was written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down um, about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since. A day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Church, when we're faithful, it builds our faith. And not only that, it builds our faith to pray things like sun stand still. I read a book by Stephen Furtick that absolutely challenged me. 
Where are the men and women of God that have so much faith that they can pray stuff like that? See, it's because of what he was doing in the desert, his faithfulness, him seeing what God's done for Israel, that gave him the confidence to say, son, stand still. Because he wanted to go out and finish the enemy that the Lord had already promised him. But the sun was going down. Can you imagine a whole day the sun stood still? I mean, from the outside looking in, you'd be like, like if you had no idea what was going on in the battle, what would you think? Like, okay, I know I didn't go to sleep. Like, why is the sun still up? Where are the men and women that have the faithfulness and the faith to pray, sun stand still? Lord, I need you to move in this situation. See, church, by all accounts, we as Jubilee, we're at a pinnacle. And we have the worship team that's so excited. You have JG up here. I was listening back then. I was like, I would follow that guy in the battle right now. My goodness. Then we have Pastor John speaking of this revival. And then we go home. Do we think about that? Do we act on that? Are we praying for that? Do we have the faith to pray for that? And I want to rebuke something. I know that some of you have prayed those big prayers, and maybe it didn't answer, but maybe the Lord was testing your faithfulness. Do we have the faith to say, Son, stand still? And maybe it's not literally, Son, stand still. But there's a lot of situations in a lot of people's lives that look quite impossible, yes or no? Being faithful in a season is vitally important. Being faithful is a choice that we need to make day in and day out. When it's hard, when it's easy, when you can't see the Lord, you're still faithful. When you wake up and you're dealing with depression, when you wake up and a situation isn't fixed, when you wake up and you're like, how am I going to pay this bill? When you wake up and all of these things, we're still faithful. We are faithful to the end, church. I thought one of the, the greatest ways to close this message was to by t- uh, taking communion with you. And I had a third point, but I was like, I'm just going to shorten it and do it with, with communion. Um, and so if you guys would open up your communion, please. So my third point was going to be this. Um, I was going to talk about Jesus. And Jesus is pinnacle. Okay, and most of you would say, uh, if you know where Jesus is right now, he is on the right hand of God. That's a pinnacle. Holy cow, could you imagine that? But that's not the pinnacle. And listen to this, this is why. Because he still has to come back and get us. 
And then once he comes back and brings his followers back to heaven, he gets to go right by the Lord again on the right-hand side. So I felt like the Lord said, Daniel, today in communion, as we take the bread, we do it in remembrance of what he has done for us and what he's going to do for us. There's such hope in that. Every time we take communion, there should be such a humbling to yourself that this man who didn't deserve anything that he went through, went through it for you. Lord, thank you. You guys take the bread with me. The cup of salvation is representation of the blood that he shed on the cross for our sins. How does a man that lives a perfect life, how does he humble himself enough to give away what he deserves for us? So Jesus, we take this in remembrance of the pain and suffering you did at the cross. But also for our hope, for our pain and suffering to end one day too. Lord, you are good. Take it with me, please. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, right now in the midst of our crazy lives, we take a moment to humble ourselves. We take a moment to thank you. To thank you that you saved a wretch like me. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in this message today. Lord, I pray that the people in this room, that they would always keep guard. Lord, that they would move from glory to glory to glory. And Lord, that they would always be faithful servants to you. And I pray that you would bolster their faith, Lord. I pray that if they're in coffee shops, if they're out and someone's saying, hey, my knee hurts, Jesus, I pray that you would give them the boldness and the faith to get down on one knee and to put their hands on that knee and say, Jesus, heal this person. I pray for a bolstering of faith right this second. Right this second, Jesus. I pray this last night, I want to pray it again. Lord, I pray this week that wherever these people go, and they might get mad at me for this, that Jesus, that you would give an opportunity to, uh, to, have, uh, to talk to a person about who you are and what they've done in their lives for you. Open that pathway. Open up the conversation. Lord, we pray for blessing and favor the rest of this week. We pray for honor. Lord, we pray that you feel honored. You are so loved. In Jesus' name.